Hey, good morning. Glad to see you today. And um, it's just good to be with you. And uh, for those of you who are joining us here in the auditorium, those of you who are joining us at home online, glad that you can be with us today too. And uh, it's, a, it's a great, great Sunday to be here and to be able to worship the Lord and uh, to hear from his word together. Um, you know, as we continue this morning, we're in our series, Uncertain Certainty, and uh, living through days that are uncertain, that are, that are just, it, it changes day to day, week to week. But we serve a God and we worship a God who is certain, who is sure, and uh, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can be confident in that. In fact, you know, when it says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, you know, part of that is the fact that Jesus shows up. I mean, all the things we've been studying have been in the New Testament, right? Did you know Jesus shows up in the Old Testament too? He shows up in the Old Testament? You're like, wait, hold on. He wasn't born until Matthew. What do you mean he shows up in the Old Testament? That's like two-thirds of the way through the Bible. No, he did. See, Jesus is God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's eternal. And so when Jesus is born in Matthew, he's simply God who's putting on flesh. You know, so many other religions teach that if you're a good enough person, as a, as a human being, you could become a God or like a God. But Christianity is totally opposite, that God became man. And he put on flesh, lived the life we couldn't, and, and dwelt among us. And that's what happens at Jesus' birth. And he was around during the Old Testament. He was around before the Old Testament. And he shows up, I believe, multiple times in the Old Testament. And we're going to see him show up this morning. So uh, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. And so if you've got your Bible, you've got an app, whatever you've got, you can turn there. And then I'm going to pray. And we're going to dive in together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is unchanging, that he is totally certain. And even when we face different trials and uh, uh, different tests of our faith of varying kinds, uh, you're with us and uh, you help us through it. Sometimes you save us from it. But in any case, we trust you and we love you. So this morning, would you increase our faith, help us to trust you more and to live out that truth more and more in our lives in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Daniel chapter three, uh, Daniel chapter three starts like this. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth, six cubits. We were out doing a little landscaping yesterday and I said to Hannah, hey, I think I'm gonna make this about six cubits long. No, I didn't say that. But do, do you use cubits when you measure things? No, you don't, but in this day they did. And a cubit is about 18 inches, about a foot and a half. So who can do the quick math? How tall was Nebuchadnezzar's statue? 90 feet. Myra was in the first service, she's cheating. It was 90 feet tall. 90 feet tall, and how wide? About nine feet tall. And so Nebuchadnezzar builds this statue, likely of himself, and it's huge. Now, to give you a picture of how big this thing would have been, uh, if you ever get a chance to drive along I-90 through Minnesota and you're just like, I need to pull over for no good reason just to see something stupid, look for the exit for Blue Earth and you'll find the jolly green giant. I don't know if you can notice this or not. Uh, this is my wife, Hannah, right here down by his feet. Now, the jolly green giant here in Blue Earth, Minnesota, he's 55 feet tall. Nebuchadnezzar's statue is 90 feet tall. 
To give you another point of reference, like an average water tower is 100 to 150 feet tall. And that's how, that's how tall it is. And so imagine he creates this giant statue and it says in verse one that he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. In other words, it was in a really visible place. Now, you might be asking, why would anyone do that? Like, why would they put up a giant green giant? No, I'm thinking like, why would they build a giant gold statue of themselves? That's 90 feet tall. For what reason would he do this? Well, I think the answer comes actually in Daniel chapter two. See, the, re- the reason the guys that we're gonna read about today are in Babylon, modern day Iraq, is because this king, Nebuchadnezzar, had gone in and conquered Jerusalem and he pulled God's people out and took them back in exile to Babylon. And uh, one of the things that happens after they get back to Babylon is there's actually a couple waves where this happens. And in the first wave, they take some of just the, uh, the young, uh, strong, full of potential people back with them to Babylon. So guys like Daniel, and we're gonna read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were among them. Isaac, you would have totally been taken back with Nebuchadnezzar, right? I mean, just the, the smart, young, uh, the, the people with great potential, that's who Nebuchadnezzar took back with him. And... Uh, So they're there and they're training. They go through this university in a sense where they're being trained in the language and in the culture and religion. So they assimilate into Babylonian culture. Well, in chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that just totally freaks him out. He dreams about uh, this giant statue, but he doesn't tell anybody what his dream was. And instead he calls in like the astrologers and all the people and he's like all all his wise men. He says, hey, I had a bad dream. Can you help me interpret it? And they're like, sure, tell us the dream. He's like, no, no, no. I want to make sure you can interpret it. You tell me my dream and then interpret it. And they're reacting kind of like, well, you might, you know, what do you mean? We didn't dream the dream. You got to tell us your dream if we're going to interpret it. And he's like, no, you got to tell it to me or else here's what he actually says. He says, "Um, if you don't do it, if you can't tell me what my dream was and what it means, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. Now the thing, that sounds like just kind of a off the handle threat, doesn't it? Like just losing it on him for no good reason. But the reality is Nebuchadnezzar followed through on these threats all the time. He was ruthless. There's accounts of him impaling guys on poles and then burning them to death, of, uh, of, of, of just totally uh, cutting to pieces king's families in front of them and then gouging their eyes out so that their last visual memory is of seeing their family die. That's how messed up this guy is in some, some ways. And so when he makes a threat like this, you're gonna be torn limb from limb. These guys are like, oh, I saw that happen last week. I don't know that I really want that for me. So uh, they come back again and ask and they can't tell him. And finally, one of the guys that uh, Nebuchadnezzar had brought back from Jerusalem, Daniel steps up and he's like, hey, don't kill them. My God can tell you the dream. I can tell you the dream. And so uh, he gives him the opportunity and he, he goes back with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and he prays. He says, pray to God for mercy so that uh, this isn't the end of us and that he would show us the dream and help me interpret it. And sure enough, God does. And, and, and Daniel shows up to Nebuchadnezzar and he tells him the dream. Check it out. Here's the dream. He says, you saw, O king, uh, and behold, a great image. In other words, a, a, a 
this, this giant statue, this image mighty in it of, of exceeding brightness, it stood before you. Its appearance was frightening. The head was made of fine gold and its chest and arms of silver, the middle and thighs of bronze, its legs iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, there was a stone cut out by no human hand and it struck the image on, the, on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. Then all of these together were broken into pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, a stone that was cut by no human hand, that's a huge stone, in other words. And then Daniel goes on and tells him what this dream means. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, God has given you a vision of the rest of time. He's told you what's gonna happen as he wraps up time on this earth. And each of these different elements represent different kingdoms, and we don't have time to go into all of that, but uh, he goes on and says that the the image of gold, the head of gold, uh, that's your kingdom. And you are a great and mighty kingdom on the face of the earth. And after you is gonna come a lesser kingdom of silver, it'd be the Persians, and then uh, bronze, it'd be the the Greeks, and then of iron, the Romans. And then there's these feet made of iron and clay that is brittle and uh, strong at the same time. And that speaks of a kingdom at the very end. And God is gonna crush that kingdom and set up a kingdom that's eternal. That's the big mountain that comes and grows. And so that rock that crushes them is the return of Jesus Christ. And so everything up through that leg of iron, uh, we won't get into all the prophecy stuff today, but all of that has happened. And the other piece is yet future. And now Nebuchadnezzar, he's been greatly blessed. He's been included in God's vision of the rest of time of what's gonna happen. And God chose to reveal it to him. That's an incredible blessing. But I wonder, Nebuchadnezzar is kind of like me sometimes. When I receive a great blessing, instead of just being thankful for it and resting in it and content, I go, man, that's cool. How could I get more? (laughs) How could I make it better? Do you ever do that? I think that's our culture, isn't it? And in many ways, that was the culture of Babylon where uh, Nebuchadnezzar then, he's like, oh, I'm the head of gold. I'm the strong, I'm I'm great and mighty. This is fantastic. Other people need to know about this. And I think that's why he builds a statue of himself. But instead of just the head being gold, he builds the statue he saw. How much of it does he make gold? All of it. It's all about him. Everything revolves around him and his glory And friends, we fall into that trap all the time where we make life about ourselves and about what we want and our desires and our fame and that we would be loved and made much of. That's Nebuchadnezzar here. And at times we can all be like him. Well, let me continue with the story of kind of what happens then after he builds this statue. He sends and he gathers all the the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates. In other words, all the officials, like uh, national, state, county, local, everybody's coming to check this thing out. And he's gonna have a dedication of the image that he had set up. Now it was made of gold. Now it probably wasn't solid gold, but like other things in that day, including the temple in Jesus' day, made of wood and then covered in gold. But in any case, this thing is huge. And you couldn't miss it in the bright sun of the Iraqi desert. 
And so it's out in the plains where it would be seen and they gather in verse three, they, they gather for the dedication of this image. And they stood before the image. Now, uh, scholars, most of them point to the fact there's probably at least, conservatively, 15,000 to 20,000 people here. More likely when, because it goes on to say like people from every language and nation and from all over the area, like probably 150 to 200,000 is also a pretty, pretty good estimate. So imagine the number of people in a big football stadium multiplied out on the plains in the desert around this giant golden statue. And then all of a sudden, verse four, the herald proclaimed aloud. So we're gonna read there's a band here that's ready to play. So I imagine, I mean, like, it's kind of a big political rally in some ways, like the big platform probably up there and the band's up there and maybe all the main officials, like, like Nebi himself is up there. I'm gonna call him Nebi, is up there on the stage and, and uh, the herald gets up. And I wonder uh, what's the PA system like in those days that he can address 100,000 people out in the desert. Well, my guess is he shouted through a blowhorn as loud as he could, and then it kind of trickled back, gave a telephone to the back, of the back of the crowd. But he cries out, he says, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages. In other words, everybody. So there had to probably be some translation too going on. That when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, the, the whole band, the bagpipe even, we could use a bagpipe up here. Every kind of music, you're to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. So it's like when the band plays, get down. When the band plays, worship the image. And so that probably trickles back. What do you say? What do you say? When you hear the music, bow down. Well, why? Well, because look what else he says. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Can you imagine? Now, this is a guy, they've seen him do some things. They know he follows through on his threats. I wonder if you were there, what would you have done? Would you have bowed down to the image? And maybe, you know, you bow down, but in your heart, God, you know, that's just a... It's just an image of gold that's not real, but you know in my heart I love you, I worship you, but I'm just bowing because I don't think you'd want to you know, see my life go away right now, so I'm just, I'm gonna give in right now, and, but you know I really love you. I think a lot of us would be tempted to do that. Well, as you keep going, therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, they heard the band strike up, and all of them, from all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Everyone falls down. I imagine it just kind of cascades back as people realize what's happening. Everybody but three guys that we're told of. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stay standing now, why did they stay standing? I wonder, and when did they make that decision to stand? Do you think they made it in the moment? Like, you know, they just kind of went through life and, oh, it's okay, when that comes, I'll be okay. I'll just, I'll choose right then to follow the Lord and I'm gonna be okay. And for now though, I'm just gonna live how I want. I don't think that happened. I think they made their decision to stand long before this. And their standing was empowered by all the small choices they had made 
in the weeks, months, years leading up to it. Because if you go back to Daniel chapter one, when, when these guys were all brought in to Babylon from Jerusalem, in Daniel chapter one, verse eight, you read that Daniel resolved in his heart uh, not to defile himself. But instead he was gonna worship the one true living God. He made that choice from the outset. And so then when the fiery trial comes and later for Daniel, when the lion's den comes, when those things come, it's, it's, it's not a, oh, I gotta decide in the moment here what's gonna be best. It's no, he's already made that decision and Lord, I trust you. I'm just, I'm able to stand. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians to put on the full armor of God so that when the trial comes, when, when, uh, so that you're able to resist the enemy in the time of evil, and after the battle, you'll be standing firm. It didn't happen in the moment. I mean, if you wait till the moment to choose, I mean, five times out of 10, maybe you'd make the right choice. But what about those other five? Maybe nine out of 10, maybe 99 out of 100, you'd make the right choice not to bow down to that idol or just, you know, uh, put uh, my, my career in front of my family or uh, to bow down to that longing of, of uh, you know, to make that decision of what am I going to do here in terms of that relationship. And when you make that decision though ahead of time in the moment, even that one time out of a hundred can cause a great disaster. And those decisions have to be made ahead of time and resolved ahead of time of what you're going to do. And I believe that's what happened here. Well, so therefore, at that time then, we come to that time and we find out there were certain Chaldeans who came forward and they maliciously accused the Jews, the ones who had been brought over from Jerusalem and from Judah. They maliciously accused them. What does that tell you? People were watching them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, have you ever found that to be true? Like the moment you claim, I'm a Christian, I'm following Jesus, suddenly people start watching you a little different. People in your family go, huh, I wonder, really? You know, maybe you're at Christmas and a holiday with the family and they're just like, uh, really, why do you say that? Aren't you a Christian? You just think you have your life all together, don't you? That you're just somehow better than everybody else, don't you? But I saw what you did there. They're, they're watching. And they're watching these guys now as soon as they had taken a stand and when they didn't bow down, they maliciously accused them. They said uh, to King Nebuchadnezzar, oh, you king, king live forever. <laughs> They're sucking up to King Nebi like everybody else would have. He said, you've made a decree, haven't you? That everybody, you know, when they hear the band strike up, they're supposed to bow down. But guess what? There's three guys uh, the Jews that you appointed to be over the people, they didn't bow down. They stayed standing. They're not listening to you. They're against you. They're causing all kinds of problems. And you said, if anybody does that, that they should be cast into the fiery furnace. Isn't that what you said? He said, these men, verse 12, O king, they pay no attention to you. They don't serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. And then Nebuchadnezzar his, his rage became furious. Now, the guy who impales people on poles and dices up the families of kings is not the guy you want furiously angry with you. Just tip of the day. 
That's not the guy you want mad at you. Uh, he, he commanded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought. So they, they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and he said to them, uh, hey guys, is it true that, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Is that true? I mean, that can't be true, can it? Tell you what, I'm gonna give you another chance. The band's gonna play, and then you can kneel down and just prove that that's not true, okay? We're gonna strike it up, and you're gonna bow down to the image. But, uh, and he goes on, he says, but if you don't worship, you'll be immediately cast into the fiery furnace, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? You say you're a Christian, but I don't know. I don't know if I buy it. Verse 17, or verse 16 here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they answered and they said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, listen, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They're like, we're, we're just not even gonna get into the argument. We're not. You know, a lot of times they say when crisis hits, you tend to respond in one of three ways. You either fight, anger, right? And, uh, you know, uh, maybe, maybe you've done this. At times I've done this. I know where somebody says something and, and in, in my conviction and I just get angry and I, I lash out, yeah, well, whatever. And it might be totally true, but it's done in anger and it's not helpful. Or sometimes it's flight. And I've done this too, where you just, you just flee. You're like, I don't know. And then everybody's like, yeah, see, I told you. It's not real, is it? You don't really believe that. You're just running away. Or it's freeze is the third one where you're just kind of like, ah, I don't know what to do. And, and any of those three, as a follower of Jesus, you know, we're told to have an answer for what we believe. Uh, we're told not to respond in anger, but with grace and truth. Uh, we're told not to run away, but to stand firm in our faith. And, and we're told to have that answer rather than freeze, to, to be able to answer what we believe and what's true. And these guys give a great response. And it's like, listen, we're not gonna argue. We're not gonna run away. Here's our answer. If this is so, if you throw us in the furnace, you know what, our God, you asked who could save us? Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. He will. That's great faith, isn't it? But you know what's even greater faith? Verse 18. But if not, if not, I wonder, I have that underlined in my Bible. Do you have it underlined? You might want to. But if not, even if he doesn't, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Uh, see, why? Because while Nebuchadnezzar saw this, this image of the rest of time, of things that are temporal, and saw the golden head that was him, and he tried to make it then all about him, not realizing that his life would fade away and would be done with, uh, these guys recognize, you know what? Our God is much more real than everything we see. He's much more real than that furnace you're threatening to throw us into. And so we're living for him. And if it means we're thrown into the furnace and he doesn't save us, that's okay. He's in control for all eternity. And we're gonna be just fine. But he can save us. But even if he doesn't, 
we still follow him and love him. That's a hard thing to say, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, I'll worship the Lord. I'll follow him. I'll stand for him when everything's going great. And you get the promotion and you, you, you know, everything, all your, all your prayers are answered. But, but when God doesn't come through with maybe what you prayed for, what you desire to say, you know what, even still, I worship him because I know he's in control. So then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against them. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it's usually heated. You know, I don't know about you, but if I'm gonna be thrown into a fiery furnace, seven times hotter is even better because then it's just quicker. <laughs> and I'm done. So he turned up the heat. But you know, uh, other heat that you might face, you know, when you take a stand for what's true and you do it in a gracious, loving God, Christ honoring way, the reality is the heat might get turned up and it's gonna get hot and it could be incredibly hard and incredibly painful. But you have to make that decision before that time comes and put on God's armor if you're gonna stand. So here's what happens then. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he orders some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now when you see that, the mighty men, in other words, he got the Navy SEALs and said, hey, tie these guys up. Throw them in the furnace. And to cast them into the burning furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, just as they were, in other words, and all their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Well, because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, I mean, because people, you know, like he, he snapped and you, you, he said jump, you said how high. Uh, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the flames lick out of the furnace and kill the mighty men. And these three men, though, they fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Now, uh, archaeology would reveal that this furnace is probably more like a cave or a pit. Uh, think of like a railroad tunnel with it's bricked up on the other end or just a, a, a big pit of fire. And so they're thrown in, they fall in, whatever that looks like. And it's just a raging fire. Well, after this happens, Nebuchadnezzar is watching all this. Uh, all of a sudden, he was astonished. And he rose up in haste. In other words, very quickly. And he declared to his counselors, he said, how many did we throw in there? Three, right? Wasn't there three? Why am I counting four? Weren't they bound when we threw them in? Why are these guys walking around freely? And the fourth one, he, he looks like a, a son of the gods. He's, he's like, there's just something different about him. He's, he's glowing. And they all just look like they're just going about life. It's not, nothing's hurting them. What's going on? I mean, he goes from rage to now a little bit freaked out. Would you be? <laughs> See these guys just up walking around, chatting it up in the furnace, in the middle of the fire. Well, who is that one that he saw? Maybe he's bright and glowing more. Maybe he had a crown on. We don't know. Who is it? Help me out. Sunday school answer. 
It's Jesus, yeah. That's Jesus showing himself in the Old Testament. And he shows up and he rescues them. And just like their faith, our God can save us and he will save us. And Jesus did. But they were prepared to worship him even if he didn't show up. So... uh, so we keep reading, he answered and you know, he said, I see four men. He's like, who is that guy? In verse 26, he came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared, he called out to them. You know, I wonder if he was even a little uncertain who they were for sure. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. But then look how he describes them. Servants of the most high God. He says, come out, come here. And then they came out from the fire. Now I wonder, notice the way they're described. When you go through your own trial, your own uncertain fire, you're not sure what's gonna happen. It could be some kind of trial at work. It could be with your family. It could be with, with health. It could, you, you fill in the blank. When you come out the other side, how are you described? They're described and identified as being servants of the most high God. There was just, there was something unique about the way that they trusted God through all of that. And it was reflected as people watched. What are you known by? Well, and then it looks like all the other kings, uh, men and all the other leaders were around in verse 27 and they gathered together and they saw the fire hadn't had any power over the bodies of those men. In fact, look at this, the hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. No smell of fire had even come upon them. I mean, try go, let alone go in the fire, go try to stand by a campfire like 10 feet away for more than about three seconds. You're gonna smell like campfire for the rest of the night. They didn't even smell like fire. God had totally brought them through. And keep reading. And Nebuchadnezzar answered, he said, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. He set, the ones who set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. That's a pretty powerful statement. They were willing to lay down their very lives, every other idol they could have worshiped, to worship the one true living God. You know, think about idols, right? What do you lay your life down for? What are the items that you're you're giving yourself to attain over and over that you have to have? What are the the, the responsibilities and duties of your life, that your career, that you've put everything into that, or uh, maybe it's not even career, maybe it's just, uh, it's other people, it's this relationship, maybe as a mom or a dad, or a longing for a relationship that you don't have, and you lay down your life for all of those things. And Nebuchadnezzar is like, blessed be the God of these three who, uh, they laid down their lives rather than worship any other God, any other idol for the sake of worshiping their own God and worshiping him first. I don't think there's anyone in this room who couldn't say, you know what? Way too many times in my life, including the guy on the stage, I've laid my life down for idols in my life and not the true living God. And by God's grace, might we 
live lives that lay our lives down for him. See, therefore, Nebuchadnezzar made a decree. He said, then any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. There's his threat again. And their houses laid in ruins. For there's no other God who is able to rescue in this way. There's no one else who can rescue. There's nothing better than Jesus. No other God that I could lay my life before. No one can rescue like him. Only he can do it. You know, uh, it goes on then in verse 30, the king promoted the three of them in the province of Babylon. Now, this story, it isn't a story of, hey, if you trust God and you stand up for him and do what's right, he's gonna promote you and make all your wildest dreams come true. That's not, that's not the point of the message or of the text. Sometimes we wanna believe that and so... Sometimes people even preach that because we want to believe it. Can God save you from what you're facing? 100%, all day long. But it may simply be that he won't save you and instead he wants to carry you through whatever it is you're facing. And in any case, will you still worship him? And all of those things are up to him. That's up to his prerogative. He's God, he's sovereign, I'm not. You know, and Christianity then, friends, as we wrap up, it's a call to be set apart, to be different. I mean, Jesus says this in his Sermon on the Mount. He says, um, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Have you led with that one in evangelism? Invite your friends to church. Hey, why don't you come hang out with us? And then people will speak evil against you and revile against you, but don't worry, you'll be blessed. (laughs) But that's what Jesus says, isn't it? You're you're, going to stand out. You're going to be different. Now, I I think he's saying that you're going to be different. You're going to be set apart. I think Jesus is saying, I don't want people who stand up and, you know, make just these huge protests in their cubicle with giant placards on the wall or make foolish statements and just turn people away, but to live a life that, 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 People need to explain there's something different about them. Rejoice and be glad, Jesus says. If that's you, your reward is great in heaven. They persecuted the prophets before you. He keeps going. He says, you're the salt of the earth. You're different. You're going to stand out. You're going to taste different to culture. Not only that, you're the light of the world. You don't hide a light under a basket. You let it shine forth for the whole world to see. In the same way, let it shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Friends, as, uh, as we close this morning, you know, I, I don't know what the, the fiery furnace is that's in front of you or the trial or even the, the temptation in front of you of, of what it is to bow down to. But let me tell you, there's nothing better than Jesus. There's no one able to save like he can save. And I commend him to you that you would make those choices day by day to follow him and to trust him and to love him so that when uh, moments come in your life where you have to make a decision and even when everything in front of you is uncertain, even the fire you might face, you're able in that day to stand and to stand firm and to honor him. Now, if you've never trusted Jesus, 
Let, let me just say, trust him. It's so simple. If you put your faith in him, he would make you new. He would make you his own. He would draw you into that family that you would be a part of his family of the God who saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace would save you from the fires of hell. Absolutely, completely, every time. Let's pray.